it felt good, you know, doing it the, as you know, doing it the right way, you're really helping people out of a jam usually, right? Absolutely. Um, help, helping people felt good. That, that part of it felt good. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, We Love Equity Real Estate family. Welcome to another show. On today's show, I have a very special guest from the D.C. metro area who is doing some fabulous things. This is Christopher um, Mills. And Chris, hey, man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, buddy. Nice to see you again. Yes, yes, yes. Likewise, man. I was on. I was a guest on Chris' show, and uh, I'll let Chris talk about his show towards the end. But before we get started, Chris, you're in the D.C. metro area, Virginia. You're doing some things there, man. Kind of give us a little background about who you are, what you're doing, and then we can start kind of going into some of the, the topic, uh, the conversation of the day. So who are you, what you've been doing, and, and introduce us to the listeners. Yep, my name's Chris Mills. I, uh, I specialize in alternative investments. So I'm in the financial services industry, essentially helping real estate agents or real estate investors retire. Um, so I work with a lot of investors, but on the uh, securities side. So uh, retirement planning, um, retirement execution, things of that nature, because uh, you know, it looks differently. It looks different for real estate investors versus, you know, your typical average family. So that's yeah. what I do. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, a lot of people that I talk to, you know, they're real estate investors. They say, hey, I retired, you know, but they're doing fix and flips and things like that. So they're not technically retired, um, but then they don't know how to deploy that capital. Yes, they go and buy some multifamily units or some single family units for rental. But, you know, I wanted to talk to you even from my perspective of, you know, what can we do to hedge ourselves, you know, going forward as real estate investors to leave that legacy, to leave those wealth building strategies for our families. So with that being said, Chris, tell me, because you're coming from both perspectives, you're coming from a real estate investor and now coming from, you know, the financial services uh, market. So tell me, give us your backstory as a real estate investor, how you got started in everything. Sure. So I uh, started helping people invest and just kind of doing a little bit of legwork and uh, things of that nature because I had an interest in investing um, from a young age, you know, probably 15, 16, 17. Um, started trying to make my own money, even as a kid, really. Uh, quick story. I, uh, I remember walking through the mall visiting my grandparents. So this was probably High Point or Green, Greensboro area in North Carolina, early 90s. And uh, I saw this sweater and I still remember it to this day as this big, thick cream colored hoodie. And I wanted to buy it. So we walked in the store and 
uh, I don't remember the price, but it was, it was three digits, right? It was, it was crazy. Okay. So my parents were like, nah. And then we got back home and uh, I saw the jeans, you know? So, and the same logo, this big cream colored FB was also on the jeans. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I got to have this stuff. This is, this is, I'm feeling it. And um, they were like, okay, well, if you want to pay this much for jeans and this much for clothes, you're going to need to start making your own money. Um, cause we'll buy you these clothes. And if you want these, you know, that's all you. So, yep, yep. so I started, you know, just doing whatever I could looking thinking along those lines. And, uh, you know, when I came towards about 17, 18 years old, the manual labor side of things, uh, wasn't as interesting, right? Multiplying money was, was more interesting to me. So I went to a, uh, a friend's father who I looked up to as, you know, uh, I think he was an entrepreneur and he was really good at investing. So I said, Hey, I want to start investing. I'm 18. I can do these things now. What should I do? And, uh, he said, uh, well, you know, go, you know, open a, an online brokerage account and, you know, look up your favorite, you know, businesses, things of that nature yeah. and, and pick one. So I took about, thousand dollars put it into a company that I knew wasn't going anywhere and you know I knew kind of well I shopped there and so I went back to him at church the next week I said all right I put my money here I've been looking at it all week uh what now how do I make it go up he said well <laughs> you don't like you, all just, right. <laughs> you just watch and, and see what happens and hope, and hope yeah. you made a good decision I was like well that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard why does anybody do this um and I, I mean, I, it's, it was probably at $800 at that point. So it wasn't the end of the world, but at the same time, I didn't really have the control factor that I was looking for. Right. So I kind of put that on the shelf. I mean, obviously fast forward 30 years, I'm in the financial services industry, but yep. um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so that's what put me on real estate really was the control factor, right? Okay. Um, so I got introduced to it, started helping people, then um, went to one of those you know, big swoop into town seminars and um, got a coach through it and all that stuff. I spent way too yeah. much money, but it was uh, the coach part of it was helpful, right? Because I had someone, I spent like a week with him and he was in my market showing me the ins and outs, things to look for, which, um, which did pay dividends later, the things he taught me at that point. Okay. Um, so that got me into wholesaling. Uh, then, um, cause you know, that's what they always say to, yep, to start yep, with when you don't have the money. Right. Uh, then I started doing some of my own deals. Um, I'm mostly a, a buy and hold guy. So okay. I would, uh, I first myself, then my wife and I, when I got married in 2007, we would buy something owner occupied, you know, first FHA, then, you know, 5% conventional, um, then just over and over year after year just buy another one rent out the previous buy another one rent out the previous so we'd move every year or two um we definitely don't do that anymore <laughs> now we have kids and stuff but yep. but that that's how i got started was just accumulating that way um then i started a property management company once i started stacking them up okay. and uh you know the since i had the company i started uh doing stuff for other people um, they liked the way I did things. So I kind of started managing their, uh, national portfolios. So I became an asset manager of sorts. 
Okay. And, um, so that's, uh, that's the bulk of my experience. I mean, I did, uh, I was a loan, loan originator for a little while. Um, and, uh, again, I was an agent at one point. Um, but that's the bulk of my investing experience was stacking these up. And then, um, at one point I was going to start syndicating, you know, a full on uh -huh. syndicating business. Uh, but cap rates were, were kind of going this Shrinking. way. They're going yep. straight down. Yeah. So, um, my buddy and I, we, we were going to do it together. We just kind of started doing our own thing and yeah, the rest is history. So, so you gave us a global perspective on Chris Mills. So let's take it back to the beginning because a lot of the listeners, they always like to, to get that foundation, that origin story, so to speak of how you got started. So you put this money, you had this thousand dollars or $800, you put it into, let's just say Fidelity, E-Trade, Vanguard account, and you was just watching this stock to see what happened. You had little control over what happened. Um, and because you didn't like that control, that's when you kind of start investigating, curious about real estate. So you got started with wholesaling. Why wholesaling? Why that direction? And how long ago was this, Chris? Um, see, this was probably 2004. Okay. Um, and when I was at the seminar, it, everything made sense. Um, and I kind of waded in slowly. I didn't do the, the signs and the full on marketing, all that kind of stuff at first. Right. Okay. I, I just kind of drove, did the driving for dollars. Um, I, uh, you know, would talk to owners, feel things out. And, you know, my first couple deals made sense. Right. Okay. Um, and it felt good, you know, doing it, the, as you know, doing it the right way. You're really helping people out of a jam usually, right? Absolutely. Um, help, helping people felt good. That, that part of it felt good. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I ramped it up from that point. Okay. So you got started with those, those couple of deals. Um, got started with driving for dollars, guys. So you hear Chris got started, just got out there, start driving around looking for, houses with tall grass or houses that were boarded up windows, you know, things like that. Um, now, what was that mindset going from wholesaling to, to finally saying, you know what, I need to hold some of these myself because that's where the real wealth generation is coming from. Right. Right. So yeah, did that for a few years and fast forward to, uh, you know, 2006, uh, towards the end of 2006, things are skyrocketing, you know, just shooting up the, the mm -hmm. appreciation and um, rent increases. And uh, it, it's a little too hot, you know, yep, looking yep. back. But um, even still, I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of money to be made there, right? I didn't want to, I was in DC almost exclusively, and okay. I didn't want to take the risk that I saw a lot of these other guys taking risks, right? So I kind of, had a handful of guys that I could call and say, Hey, got this property over here. You'll make a quick 80 grand. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was cool, except I knew what they were taking on. Right. I, I saw the money they were making. Some of these guys kind of let me in on what they were doing and, and their processes and, but dealing with the, the contractors, the subs dealing with the city, mm -hmm. um, dealing things of those and all the logistics that could just kill you. Right. Um, 
I didn't know that at that time I was willing to do that. Okay. So my first, my, my first property I ever bought was um, intended to be a buy and hold, um, but it, was, it turned out to be a flip. So okay. Uh, okay. I, I was not interested in flipping, like I said, but um, I, I got this, I got a, a lead on a deal. Uh, is actually pre-construction, right? So it wasn't even a, a traditional flip. It was um, a developer needed money, so he's ramping up his uh, pre-construction deals. So how did you how did you find that lead, real quick, Chris? Uh, that was just a relationship. <clears throat> okay, it was um, in in uh, Howard County, Maryland. You know, so just north of DC. Okay. Um, and this guy had things stalling out. He needed some extra cash, so he started pre-selling some of his units. So. Um, so I bought that and, or I looked into buying it. And then I, I contacted some folks cause it was a 55 and older community. So okay. it wouldn't have been my typical deal. Um, I found a tenant, a friend's parents were moving from California and, uh, they were going to move in. So, um, so that, so I bought it, you know, called them. I said, Hey, it's officially mine, you know, come on out whenever you want. So they, uh, they went to Florida to grab their stuff out of storage then uh, called up their daughter and said, hey, we like Florida, we're staying. Oh, wow. Because oh, so, I, was, I was just about to say, dude, you, yeah. you took a risk, man, because you bought a 55 and older community property and you're banking on this one set of, of clientele, basically, to, to, right. to get into this property. And now, you know, they bag out on you and, and just kind of going back, you know, making an 80 grand rip on a wholesale deal. That's, that's pretty good money. You know, you can continue to do that, but you say, you know what, there's, there's a larger slice of the pie over here and let me see what I can do. So continue on with this, with this 55 and older property that you have now. Sure. Yeah. And that was not my 80, by the way, that was me making them 80. They gave me four. So, gotcha. And, um, and that's, yeah. and that's kind of what I wanted to, um, I'm glad you clarified that because that's kind of what wholesalers see now, you know, and I, and I'm going to just be frank. I just did a deal, um, where I could have kept it. I could have did the, the fix and flip could have made about 80, 90 on it, but I walked away with like eight, you know, and then you start looking at those hoods and you looking at, okay, well, I made eight now. Now in 30 days, I see it on the market for 80 grand higher than, you know, well, really like 120 grand higher than what I contracted it for. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know they had to put work into it, but at the end of the day, they're going to get a higher rip, you know? So you come to that inflection point where it's like, okay, do I take the eight or do I go through everything, all of the minutia and get to the 80? So it seems like you were at that, at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of doing somewhat in the middle, right? So in DC, at least as far as I was concerned, there's very, very clear um, paths of development, right? Either down a certain neighborhood, a certain main corridor, something mm -hmm. like that. So, and I lived there. So I would see the path of development and then my wife and I would buy something, buy and hold like 10 blocks down. Right. Gotcha. So then it would take a year to catch up. And then once everything was all rosy, you know, it, it was no mm -hmm. longer hood. Right. It was right. You know, either up and coming or had already come up. Then that's when we would, you know, it's now easy to rent. 
top, you know, yep. top of the line uh, rental rates. And then we just move down the road again um, well, on a different side. Well, that's the power of really knowing your market and projecting exactly. forward and seeing what's happening. You know, a lot of people, they want to say, well, I want to buy in this area because it's already done where you, you get no appreciation. But like you said, you saw, okay, well, we can wait a year and move 10 blocks up that path to progress. And, mm -hmm. you know, we'll make that that money in a year versus trying to make some money now, you know, right. which is very, very smart. So, um, and that's why a lot of these guys trusted me is because I was putting my money, I wasn't going to do a flip, but you know, I would tell them, Hey, I'm buying here, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, so here's, here's the deal I'm presenting on this block or whatever. So, yep, yep. so they knew, I knew what I was talking about because I was, I was living there. Right. You, you had a vested interest. You was living there and you're buying more properties there. So they know it's not like some wholesalers, not even in the area. Hey, just try and pick up this deal. And then they run on to the next, to the next project. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we got that clarified. Okay. 55 and older community. How did you dig yourself out of that hole? So I, uh, freaked out for about a day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I was involved, you know, I had relationships with a bunch of other investors. So um, I was into it really well, right? Because, okay. because of how I bought. So I called, um, you know, one of the most cash heavy, aggressive investors that I knew and said, hey, uh, you know, I can give you this property at this address for this amount which was market value. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would still make out well. Um, right. she, she bought it from me. Um, and, and it, it continued to appreciate, right. Because that was the market was still white hot at that point. Yep. So I said, Hey, this is the community. This is everything it has to offer. Um, you know, right between Baltimore and DC, it, it was, and still is a really great community. So, um, it continued to to skyrocket for her. I made out pretty well, so you know everyone was happy. I, I wouldn't wouldn't have planned to to flip it like that, but because uh -huh. um, as as you said, the fifty five and older part is pretty limiting. Um, but there's a lot of lessons I learned and, yeah. and made it out through the skin of my teeth. So well, I mean, and it was, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say one of the main things was you saw the opportunity. You didn't know how you, how you were gonna get it done. You thought you knew, you know, you thought, <laughs> hey, I got this, this family over here that needs it, let me match make, put it together, but then it all fell apart, but you still figured it out. And that's, that's one of the key things with real estate investors is, everything don't go according to plan. Hardly ever does it go according to plan, and you have to figure it out along the way. So, um, Kudos to you, man. You were able to get it done. You were able to make some money. Kind of what was the numbers on that, on that property, if you, if you still remember? Yeah, so uh, I bought for almost right at four and sold for five. Okay, so $100,000, give or take, minus commission minus all fees, stuff, yeah. you know, everything like that. So that's not a bad play. How long did you have to hold it? Uh total settlement to settlement was maybe four months. Okay. Okay. So yeah. 25, you know, or, you know, you did pretty good. You did pretty good on that. You know, you can't, can't knock that, you know, but again, you saw the risk, took the risk 
and you made out. So now you got that up under your belt. You got some money in your pocket. What, what, what was next, Chris? Uh, so yeah, that was the first property I ever bought. The second was my personal home. Um, the first one I bought myself, then, you know, when we got married, my wife moved in and then we kept moving from there. So that was, that was the start of that process. Right. Okay. Were, were you working full time at this time, Chris? Uh, at that point I was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So during, but during the wholesale phase, were you working full time also, or were you just full time? For starting out, I was, and then uh, that was that was quasi full time for maybe two and a half, three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So kind of, kind of tell me, what was your largest assignment fee, wholesale fee during this time, outside of what you made on, you know, that accidental flip? Yeah. Um, probably eight, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So consistently making eight here, you know, six, four, it was, you know, it was things like typically, that. it was typically in the, the four to six range. Okay. Yeah. The, the eight was an anomaly. Okay. All right. Um, and I know, I know most people, I know right now our typical overall wholesale fee is right around 11, 11, five. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you have those where you make four, you make three, you make eight, you make 20, you know, 17, you know, so there is some inconsistencies, but the main thing is once you get that money, what you do with it, you know, so what you were smart, once you did that 55 and older community, you said, okay, well, let's get established, me and my wife, let's buy our own primary residence. So when you bought that primary residence, did you buy it with the idea of, we'll be here for a year, gain some appreciation, and then move on, or was it? Yep. Okay, yep. that was your, but that, that was one. Your plan. That one is the only one I didn't keep, actually. Um, so we we did that one, and uh, or she, I, we got married June of two thousand seven, and then probably December of two thousand seven. I'm sitting there. I'm in the industry. I see the writing on the wall, right? As far as mm-hmm. what's about to happen with the economy and, and the real estate market. So I told her, I was like, you know, if you're game, if you, you know, trust me with this, I want to sell this and, and this other one. And, you know, possibly even the one that she, she came from, right. Cause she mm-hmm. has, she was a, a condo owner when we got married. Um, I was like, you know, everything's going to take a hit for a little while. I think we should, um, you know, hang back rent and then, you know, just save our cash and start building up again. So that's what we did. We rented this little condo down on the water in DC um, for a couple years and then okay. started buying again. So, so now being, being a, being a homeowner and mm-hmm. multiple homes and your wife being a homeowner, how did, how, how receptive was she to that saying, Hey, we're going to sell and we're going to go back to renting. Uh, she was fine. She, uh, she trusted me. So, good, and which good. is, it's, it's a big deal making, making moves that big to have your partner on board with you for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you liquidated everything, got out of everything. When did you get back into buying back into the market? That was probably 2009, <coughs> I want to say. Okay. Yeah, 2009, end of 2009, probably. 
Okay. And what did that look like? And also, before we move on to that, Chris, um, if you don't mind, how much cash did you and the wife had set aside, you know, when you sold those properties and decided to rent? Um, when I sold that, uh, sold that big house, it was, uh, it was too big for me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was silly. Uh, I only made maybe somewhere between five and 10 grand in my pocket. It wasn't a lot. Okay. Um, already set aside. I don't remember how much I had. Um, I still had the bulk of that, um, Howard County flip, gotcha. um, okay. in the bank. Uh, but I think that was it. Okay. So you had a, had a little nest egg to mm-hmm. kind of get started back with. So in 2009, what did that revigoration, that restart, what did that look like? Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> I had been, uh, been married a couple years. Both my in-laws are brokers. So my father-in-law was primarily commercial. My mother-in-law, uh, primarily residential, um, and they're investors as well. Okay. So, um, so I teamed up with them cause they're, um, you know, really, really great people to learn from. Um, they had been around the industry a long time. They had been, been doing it longer than I'd been alive, really investing in, in, okay. uh, the brokerage. So, um, really that was getting licensed was a way of, just another way of helping people. Right. Um, yep. I did primarily uh, investors, but I would also help family and friends and stuff mm-hmm. um, just because I had seen uh, b- bad stories. I'll say it that way. Okay. Right. Okay. Of um, things that can happen to friends when their agent is uh, doesn't really know what's up. So, right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I did that for a while and, and it was great learning, learning the ins and outs from them. Um, and yeah, that's what that looked like for, for a little while all along. I'm, uh, you know, freelance working and stuff to, to cover the bills and, um, mm-hmm. those deals that I started bringing in on the side again for family and friends, um, that money went straight into real estate as well. Okay. So what was your, what was your first purchase once you got back into, uh, got back into the market? Um, the first one. Was it a single family? Was it two? Yeah. Two single family side by side, actually. Okay. Um, I did, I partnered on a, another deal. Um, but, uh, the first one I did by myself, two, two single families side by side in kind of along that path of development, there was a a major corridor in DC. Um, I kind of foresaw what was about to happen. So I bought two single families next to each other, uh, right ahead of that development. Okay. Um, and those were, those were amazing. The prime, my best properties actually. So those two single families, did you, did you like move into one and just rent out the other? Exactly. Okay. All right. So did you use conventional FHA on one and then conventional on the other? How did you finance those? So one was conventional, um, just 5% down owner occupied. The other was, I think I put 20 or 25% down. Um, probably 20. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was a fantastic property. I bought it for 175 and, uh, 
the note was low nine, low nine hundreds, I want to say. Okay. Um, and then uh, I, I rented it out Section 8 in D.C., Section 8 in that neighborhood. Um, it's on their website. At least it okay. was back then. It probably still is what they pay for three bedrooms in this neighborhood versus this neighborhood. So um, already knew in advance three bedrooms in that neighborhood paid 2000 Okay, so you're looking at the cash flow immediately going in. Sounds pretty good. Now, did you have any hesitation? Because I know some people say, hey, you know what? I'm a little hesitant about going Section 8. And some other people say, hey, I love Section 8 because I know it's guaranteed money. What was your or what is your philosophy on Section 8 uh, tenants and investing? Uh, You kind of look at both. There was no hesitation on my part. Um, in fact, I, I have a buddy of mine who I still give a hard time to this day because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to buy a third, um, but I would have had to cash out my 401k to do it. So he talked me out of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I knew they were that good at deals. Right. Um, so yeah, netting, netting that much money off a little three bedroom house. Um, it was worth it to me to go section eight because one um there's there's a few factors right one it is the guaranteed income like you said um and at that time that first year her portion was only 89 dollars, all things considered oh wow Um, okay including utilities everything she paid 89 dollars, and i mean a year into it my wife and i are looking at each other like man maybe maybe we should do that Cause it was a brand new renovated property, right? Okay. It was, you know, it was, uh, I knew, I knew the developer, he bought a couple blocks worth in that area. And he called me and said, Hey, Chris, um, if you or any of your clients want to buy, um, you know, feel free, here's the information. So okay. that's why I jumped on a couple and again, almost did a third. And, uh, the way I looked at it was, you know, even if, um, I pick a bad section eight tenant, which you do have to be a little more yeah. scrutinizing with section eight, but there's also really good ones, right? So hopefully I get, I get a good one and I did. Um, but even if she tore it up, um, with that kind of cash flow, I, I don't you even have, care, have you know, reserves. and yeah, exactly. And with a, uh, uh, a three bedroom, right. And you got a family, they're less likely to stay for a year or 18 yep. months and then move out. Right. Yep, so yep. she stayed there probably, I want to say five or six years. Um, okay. And I did have to, <laughs> I did have to gut the whole thing when she left, but, um, <laughs> but it was worth it, you know, for, for that kind of money. Yeah. It's, I'll do that right. all day long. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, did you, did you do your own screening or did you use a property manager at the time? Yep. I did my own, my own screening. Yeah. So what were you looking for coming from a property manager's perspective? Because I know you have that background. What were you looking for, you know, that gave you the green light to say, okay, yes, I'm going to go ahead and rent this unit to this young lady or this family. Yeah. So she was a, some kind of nurse or, or practitioner or something of that effect. Right. Okay. Um, so, and she made good money. Um, and normally I look for, uh, you know, t- two or three times, depending on the situation, um, uh, what her rent would be. Right? Okay. Yep. Um, so like 300% or 
or whatever you want to call the ratio. And at, at 89 bucks, she was, you know, more than. Yeah, she could cover that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she, she did really well. She went on to buy a house and all that stuff. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, okay. And yeah, through my property management software, um, I use Buildium. Um, big fan okay. of Buildium. There are others that are a little more robust, but I found them to also just be more complicated, you know, um, and building them came with the background checks and the credit checks and all that kind of stuff. They just did it in such a way where you would, um, uh, kind of have them do it like, Hey, this is the software you use. Please plug in your information and stuff. And, gotcha. and it would run the credit checks and background checks. So, okay. so that's what I used. Yeah. Okay. And Chris, before we move on, we're going to take a brief word from our sponsors and then we'll come back and we'll talk about, what things look like now and what you see going forward. Okay. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the U.S. PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, Chris, we are back. We are back with Chris Mills from the D.C. metro area. Chris is a real estate investor. Chris is doing some amazing things out there in the D.C. metro area. So, Chris, tell me, um, you had these these properties you started wholesaling worked your way up you had these properties now you're you're into or you started your property management company how did that happen how did that occur uh that was really just birthed out of me getting organized um i i had a handful of properties and um i had to move into software from the spreadsheet and stuff right mm -hmm. um and the software made it um, you know, it, it made it such that my tenants could pay online and, um, maintenance requests online, things of that nature. So, um, it really just came out of getting organized, getting the software in place, getting, um, you know, I had my, my go-to people, my team, right. Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever I, I wasn't doing, I, I would do some of the calls myself, right. Especially just going next door. That was easy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I wasn't doing all the work myself. I was doing at that point very little of the work myself. So I had a lot of people that I would call and just really put it under the structure of NLC. Uh, I've been okay. pretty entrepreneurial my whole life. So um, that was a really easy step for me was to just put it in an LLC and um, run everything through the company as far and even just from tax perspective, right? Getting the, the tax write-offs for the software and everything I was doing. Okay. And I know um, before we got on, you were telling me about how you were managing properties for out-of-state investors. Um, how did those relationships build and, you know, how many units were you managing at the time? Uh, it came out of relationships. Um, so it, 
any given year um, started around probably 25 or so properties and um, went up to not that much more. I want to say maybe 40 at the most in that area. Um, but a lot of these investors had properties all over the country. So, um, and I wouldn't manage their properties, you know, all over the country. What I was mm -hmm. really doing is managing the property managers. Gotcha. Um, that, uh, I was really, really happy, but, um, it got tricky because, you know, the whole goal is me maximizing their portfolio, right? Yep. Um, making sure things are running optimally, making sure the properties are performing, that the property managers are on time and doing things that catching things and properties aren't staying vacant too long in a turnover, that kind of thing. Um, tricky part for me is, um, you know, they're paying these folks 8%, sometimes 10% in certain markets. Um, so I would only take 1%. And Gotcha. If I were going to try to do that full time, I'd need a lot, you know, that's it's <laughs> yeah, not a lot, a lot of, of money. Units. Yeah. And I, I, I never got it. I was really happy again and I wish I could have stuck with it, but um, I never really got to the point where I could do it full time and make it make sense. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so tell me right now, um, you, you had the background. It seems like everything that you did was birthed out of relationships. Um, so with you, relationships are very key, very important. So right now, uh, what are you doing now to foster some new relationships, you know, in your current role? So explain to us your current role, what you're doing with the financial services um, division and how are you building those relationships? So give us that kind of background, something a little bit different, a little bit off the cuff from traditional just real estate investor, buying properties. What are you doing now, Chris? So it's similar to um, uh, like the asset management that I was just talking about. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's helping real estate investors retire, you know, planning out that retirement. Um, what does it look like? Um, and um, implementing it. So what tools or or strategies or investments, you know, what, what is, what makes sense family by family, person by person, um, even some companies, right. Larger companies that have real estate holdings, what does business succession look like? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's what I do. I'm, I'm helping people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's super fulfilling. You know, I, um, I don't have the traditional, um, model of kind of helping people. There's a lot of metrics and investments that I have access to uh, through the financial services industry where you can run what's called like Monte Carlo situations and stuff like you have, um, you know, you know, 30 years that you think you'll be retired, right? You retire at 65 and pass at 95 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you need to cover 30 years. Um, I wrote a book a while back in which I challenged people to invest for a hundred years, right? So um, not necessarily to act like you're going to live to 165, but uh -huh. you're, um, you should, you should be investing in such a way where your, um, your investments will outlive you, right? Benefits your kids, benefits your grandkids, um, and on and on. So really don't just plan for that 30 years, plan for a hundred years. And, and you know what, when I talk to most real estate investors, that's, 
kind of the reason or the main reason why they get into real estate investing is because they want the generational wealth to leave for their kids, their grandkids and great grandkids. So talking to you is definitely uh, coincide with what, a, with what a lot of real estate investors are looking to do. And I know we, we talked about DSTs. Talk to us and introduce to us what a DST is, because a lot of people know and are familiar with 1031 exchanges, but not so much about a DST. Right. Um, so to, re, uh, to summarize the 1031 exchange briefly, just in case. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> so you, you're exchanging investment property, in our case, normally investment property for investment property. It has to be like kind properties. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a certain timeline where after you go to settlement on the first property during, uh, in the paperwork at settlement, you, you know, let everyone know you're doing a 1031 exchange, which um, is, uh, an exchange by the IRS, uh, whereby you defer capital gains and you can roll all your uh, capital gains into the next property. So you have 45 days to identify um, up to three potential properties that you're going to purchase. Um, you have what's called the relinquished property on one hand and uh, the replacement properties, exactly what it sounds like on the other hand. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to close within 180 days of the sale of that first property on yeah. your second property. So the DST uh, is something that the IRS said in 2004 that will um, act as replacement property. So it's a security, but it can act as replacement property in a 1031 exchange. It's for um, accredited investors to um, purchase uh, shares of a, a trust. So okay. beneficial, beneficial interest in a trust. Um, and that trust can hold either a single property like um, an Amazon warehouse or something, or it could have uh, multiple multifamily apartment buildings okay. across several states. It could have, you know, any, any number of combinations of real estate portfolios. So, so it's going, going from essentially an active investor to now transitioning that asset once you liquidate or sell into a passive investing and passive investment vehicle, like you said, like the Amazon warehouse or something like that. And then you're not getting taxed those capital gains from the sale of that first asset. Okay. Perfect. 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 How did all of this arrive you know, for you, how did you get into all of this, Chris? Um, was it just through the property management services and then you transition, but how did you start, you know, with the asset management? Yeah, so um, it, it really did come through the asset management. So I had um, uh, a situation that I was dealing with, with a, a certain portfolio, um, just trying to help somebody out. And it's something I was wrestling with and I had never heard of a DST before, but mm -hmm. um, I'm having breakfast <clears throat> with a good friend of mine one day and, you know, we're just kind of catching up like we do periodically. So I drove out his way and we're having breakfast early in the morning. And I'm like, you know, I'm really wrestling with this certain situation. And um, he was like, oh, well, it sounds like you just need a, a DST. And I was like, well, what's a DST? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he gave me the 30-second the version and then introduced me to a couple people. And, um, and, you know, this was a long time ago at this point, but I had breakfast or I had uh, – another meal with this guy when he was in town from Texas. And um, 
So he kind of explained everything. He was helping me uh, with this situation. And then at the end of the conversation, he kind of sat back and, and I was, at this point I was thinking, you know, I was gonna retire or, you know, move. I had moved out to the country and I'm, you know, uh-huh. just walking barefoot through the grass kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to figure out my next move, taking my time, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to help people, but um, really didn't find anything that worked and paid. and. Um, didn't want to go back to being a traditional agent. Um, so I kind of wanted to, to, you know, just kind of think and pray on what I wanted to do next. And so this guy sits back and he's like, you know, you got, you have a lot of real estate experience, you know, more than most of the financial advisors I work with. Um, you'd be excellent, you know, doing this full time. So, um, he's like, you, you, he's like, you know, how long have you known Brian? I was like, oh, over 10 years and good friend of mine. He's like, yeah, you uh-huh. need to, you guys need to link up and you need to get your license and do all that stuff. So, um, so that's what I did. Um, one of the hardest tests I've ever taken, but, um, okay. And that was the securities test. This is series seven. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, it, so it started there. I was doing, you know, DSTs and, um, non-treated REITs, uh, all the real estate based stuff, you know, um, okay. even opportunity zone funds. And, um, then it, it kind of just as a value add, I started helping people with the, the traditional wealth planning and, and retirement planning stuff. Cause I had access to it. Right. Why not just right. help people? And, but it, it weirded people out. Honestly, they're like, wait, why are you doing all this for me for free? Are you sure? Like, what's, what's the catch? What's going uh-huh. on? I was like, no, I just, you know, it's just what it's I do. It's just um, what you do. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all, the legacy piece has really always been a passion of mine. Um, I helped my, uh, my grandfather um, or his estate, really. Uh, my grandfather was super old school. Um, mm-hmm. And we might have talked this, about this before now that I think of it, but um, offline, but, uh, he, he was super, super old school. He, he amassed about 25 to 27 properties before he passed. Um, and this was, you know, a big deal in, in the South in the fifties and sixties. So for him to, to do this was impressive, but kept everything really close to the vest. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so even, even when he passed, my grandmother didn't know uh, there were some, some properties she didn't even know about, right? Wow. He, he kept everything in like boxes and shoe boxes and managed everything by checkbooks. Um, a lot of folks didn't even have leases. I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of, um, I had already written the book at this point. So they did maybe a couple years before that get a trust. Um, okay. and, uh, I guess I keep referencing it. Yeah. The book is legacy one one and it kind of yep, lays yep. out, um, a, a practical guide to, to leaving a legacy. So it covered the estate planning recommendations and things of that nature. Um, so they, they, they read it and, and took advantage of it. Took fortunately. Advantage. Good, yeah. good. Um, so it could have been a whole lot worse because he, again, he was pretty old school and it, it took a lot of us, you know, cleaning stuff up, rummaging through papers, getting leases in place, things mm-hmm. of that nature. So, um, but I, I, I know what it is to see, families um having to do do the legwork and and keep and figure out what's going on put things in order deal with properties that need construction and and need repairs Mm -hmm. um 
tenant demands that might be going on all at the same time while they're trying to grieve and, you know, deal with the passing up of loved ones. So that, uh, having that, I mean, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an attorney, but I'm constantly pushing people towards proper estate planning, you know, um, because it's a big deal. Which is, which is very important. And, and I'll say, especially when you come from the older walks of life, like you were seeing your grandfather and things like that, a lot of them, that's what they did. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. trust the banks. They didn't trust anybody. They said, hey, they will bet on themselves and they will put things in the shoebox up in the closet or up in the attic somewhere far away and only they knew about it. And then, you know, God forbid, when they get deceased, you know, you don't know exactly all of the assets that they had. And sometimes family members lose a lot of assets because they just didn't know, you know, so that's good. So I'm going to make sure I link the book Legacy One-on-One in the show notes, guys. So you can, you know, especially for you guys that are already seasoned investors or even some that are getting started, you will know how to plan for your future going forward. And you can even reach out to Chris, I'll make sure I have his contact information in the show notes also. So Chris, before we go to our hot seat questions, what's next for you, man? What's what's next? I know you're doing the legacy planning. Is there anything on the, the horizon that we should be aware of? Um, really just trying to, um, to help, you know, as many people as I can. Um, again, it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. I do want to figure out um, a lot of the, the the most potent tools that I have are for accredited investors. That's who I deal with a lot. Mm-hmm. So I do not in the short term, but in the long term, I do want to figure out um, a way to get like kind tools into the hands of the masses. Right. I want I want everyone to have access to certain um, really, really powerful strategies. Um, that's again, that's long term i'm trying to change the world but uh (laughs) but that's uh that's in my heart to do for sure okay perfect perfect well chris i want to thank you man i really appreciate it i apologize i got my son's uh phone is in here this morning and (laughs) and i didn't know it and his friends are just ringing him ringing it off the hook so um So tell me, Chris, before wrapping up here, man, I want to put you on a hot seat, man. Starting over, what would you do differently than you did previously? I would uh, trust my gut a little bit more. Um, For example, the the, third property that I didn't buy, even though I really wanted to, I wouldn't have let anybody talk me out of it. I would have done it, stuff like that. Um, and on the opposite side, I've, I've lost a lot of money when, when I knew better, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, once you, I, I guess I would have gotten the education, but I would have trusted if I got more, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so just more education and, and things like that. What do you think is your greatest commodity outside of capital? Relationships relationships yep we talked about that a whole lot and uh what is one thing you could do to be more productive